Jeremiah says, my joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. Hark the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Is not, is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt, I mourn, and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears, so that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. Reading also from the Gospel of our Lord according to Luke, the 16th chapter, beginning with verse 10. We're going to be dealing with just the first couple of verses, but I want to read the whole selection. Jesus says, whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you with the riches, true riches? And if you've not been faithful with what belongs to you, to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. One of the challenges that we face in the Christian church is that people expect us always to be happy, right? Oh, it's wonderful. Life as a disciple of Jesus is wonderful. And I'm wonderful, and you're all wonderful, and whatever. Except that life isn't always that way, is it? No, it's not. In fact, a lot of times, it's not that way. Seasons of lament haunt the lives of Christians. Lament, sadness, sorrow, songs of mourning. That, 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 that is as much a part of our lives as anybody else's life around the globe, Christian or no. Now, we have much for which to give thanks in our lives, personally, as a congregation. Don't you love this place? The answer is yes, or amen. Unless, of course, you don't like it, then just be quiet, okay? We have a lot for which to give thanks and praise to God. I don't want to minimize that reality. We really, really do. 
And we have a long list or pile of other stuff, too. I don't want to minimize that, either. And I want to focus on one piece of life that might cause us to lament, and I think this is what Jeremiah helps us focus on today. When we dedicate ourselves to being disciples of Jesus, we are proud of the work we do, we're proud of the gifts and the talents that we have to offer, and we work hard, and we pray hard, and we hope so hard and so much. And a lot of times, nothing changes. Or very little changes. And we look at our lives, and we look at our efforts, and we think that my little efforts never seem to be enough to move the needle of change in the direction that we want it to move. And that's disheartening and dispiriting and can sometimes even cause us to say, ain't doing that anymore. Truth is, our little efforts regularly are not enough. So get over yourself. That's a part of the reality of our lives. Still, we are encouraged to be faithful because we, we can't always determine when our little efforts are or are not important in the lives of others. And so we're encouraged to remain faithful, to continue to set our sights high. We'll say more about that in a little bit. But, but reasonable, high but reasonable goals for our faith life. And to recognize that the faithfulness that we live with day by day, and as we look at the impact, larger or smaller, most often smaller, that we have on others, is something that gives us confidence. And when we have confidence in our abilities, we are like Jesus says there. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. We will see little results, and God will give us larger confidence and larger responsibilities to do the work that we're called to do in our world. Jeremiah, I believe, experienced what I'm calling season, seasons of lament in his life. Jeremiah is also known as the weeping prophet. Not only is a lot of the book of Jeremiah, and it's pretty long, uh, a, lot of, a lot of it is sad and worthy of weeping, but the story is told that when Jeremiah went around the land teaching people, he would regularly uh, weep while he did so. Might remind you of some TV evangelists who were kind of quick to be weepy on the TV, and, I'm, and I, my response to them was, oh, please. Probably was the response to Jeremiah, too. Jeremiah was lamenting the situation of the people of God at that time, and it caused him to weep. He was called to ministry in a tough time. It was the, the, the borderline, the transition time between the, the 7th and the 6th centuries before Christ, before the Common Era. Uh, there was corruption within. 
It doesn't take very long for human institutions to experience corruption. I don't know if you knew that or not. Maybe I'm shocking you. You get, you get a couple of people together and it doesn't, I mean, not always and not everybody, but corruption happens pretty quickly. So there was corruption within. God's people themselves were not being on the up and up. And there were the attacks from the outsiders trying to do the people of Israel in. And so God says to Jeremiah, hey, Jeremiah, guess what? You get to be a preacher in this situation. And so off he goes. And he calls it like, he is, like it is. God is calling the people of Israel back to holiness through the words and the teachings and the example of Jeremiah. Well, how did he do? Not terribly well. Read the book. Read the history. He was subject to a vicious brutality on the part of his fellow citizens. He was, had many attempts on his life. And yet he persists. He weeps, not for himself, not because he was hurt, but because God's people were on the wrong path. He wept for them. Jeremiah didn't change the nation. In fact, it wasn't too terribly long. It was during the time of his prophecy that the nation was taken over by the Babylonians and for a long period of time, effectively ceased to exist. So you could say that however high his goals were, he wasn't successful at all. But it didn't change him. He persisted. He kept at it. He was a powerful voice on the margins of society. And he made, <clears throat> he made a difference there on those margins. And guess what? We're still reading his story today, hoping that he will make a difference for us. Some listened and changed. <clears throat> Most didn't. The nation was demolished. But Jeremiah persisted. And he left the final rewards to God. Jeremiah didn't do the tally. That was God's business. God, you decide whether this is going in the right direction or not. You decide if I'm a worthy servant of yours. He was occasionally comforted by some folks while he was living, but not much. In spite of all of that, he clung to and shared a very, very, very lofty goal. And that would be the redemption of Israel. He held on to that. You got to kind of read carefully in his in his, the record of his story to find that. But there's one verse in particular that I'm sure many of you have committed to memory. And, and I'd like to suggest, rightly or wrongly, because I wasn't there, that, that this was kind of Jeremiah's theme passage. And it goes like this. For surely, I know the plans I have for you. Says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. 
how many of us have relied on that passage in our times and places of need. Wasn't his life. Didn't get there. But he was not going to stop keeping that as his vision and his goal. Little successes along the sidelines, but God would finally make the determination of how he did. So if you're a Bible reader, and I hope all of you read the Bible to some degree, and some of you are really kind of committed to, to plowing through this document, and plowing through is, is really what we have to do in a lot of time, ways, right? It, it's not the world's easiest book to read, and Jeremiah is not an easy book to read. It's a lot of gloom and doom and some flashes of hope. And Jeremiah's life and his writing encourage me for that very reason. And I hope he encourages us all together as well. A couple of vast, vast dissimilarities between my life and Jeremiah's is that, uh, well, there's a hope. <laughs> Most of our lives are different. But, but I didn't have to suffer like him. Praise the Lord. We, we Christians in, in our society don't have to suffer physically the way that Jeremiah did. Now, there are some Christians in other places today who are suffering like that, and we need to remember them. When, when we're sitting in our places of comfort, that not everybody has it like we do. And we keep them in mind in all of our decisions. But I haven't had to suffer. Now, let's not have anybody get any ideas here, okay? Don't make my life miserable, all right? You won't, I know. But we do face similar disappointments. I have spent time moaning and groaning and weeping for those who are lost. In whatever way, I believe they're lost. They may, might be family members. They might be members of churches. They might be members of the community that I run into. I moan and groan and weep for those who are lost. And what makes me lament the most is when, when I, and I think we can, this, this could be us as well, when we put our hearts and our souls into a particular effort. We give it our all. We think it's what we need to be doing. We're so convinced that this is the right thing to do. And it has no impact. Or worse, it has a negative impact. We give our best to God's work. And the results regularly, I hate to say this, but it's true for me, regularly are less than satisfying and not what we expected. And this is, I don't think there's a whole lot that, that's much more discouraging than that. Whether it's in the church or in your personal life or whatever, to pour yourself into something and, and to see it not have any results or any, any results that you can detect. One teacher, and of course I'm a teacher of a, of a sort, but not a, a school teacher like many of you are, but one teacher was explaining why he had given up a very, very good teaching position and went to work for the, 
the Postal Service. He said, there I was. I was in front of the class, and I was pouring out my heart and my soul, everything I knew about the subject that I loved, and, and just spent all of this time and sweating and, and all of that stuff. And at the end of my brilliant lectures, somebody would always raise their hand, and what would they say? Is that going to be on the exam? He said he couldn't take it anymore. So he went to work for the post office and had a regular route and was treated by his customers in the most glorious way. Is that going to be on the exam? What, what does that mean? It doesn't help me at all. We pour our hearts and souls into things and we are discouraged when the results are not satisfying. That's what Jeremiah is showing us. It's not about the result. It's about sticking with it. It's about being persistent. It's about letting God decide whether your work is of value to others or not. I have a three-point process that I would like to encourage you to keep in mind. First of all, however disappointed you might be with your own particular activities in life as a disciple of Jesus, and I'm not just talking about going up to people and saying, hey, do you believe in Jesus? But, but living your life of faith out there in the world, how, however disappointed you might be, I want you to keep aiming high, just like Jeremiah did. We're, we're looking for the redemption of the world. We're, we're looking for perfection. Jesus said, be perfect, like my Father in heaven is perfect. So we don't lower our goals because we're not being seen as successful. We still have high goals. The second part in the process might strike you as a little bit strange. But I get it from Jeremiah. He threw his heart and his soul and his life into that uh, job that God had given to him. And when there weren't results, he, he wept and he mourned and he raged against the shortcomings of God's people and indeed of himself. One of the things that I think happens to us in our lives is, oh, it's no big deal. So I tried, poured my heart and soul into that thing, but and it didn't work, and it's okay. When we know it's not. I mean, it's like our hearts have been torn out. And what Jeremiah tells us, if, if we have reason to weep, weep! and mourn, and rage. That's what's going to help you get to the next stage and next step in the process. Louis Mead's a great, great uh, Christian ethicist who's since passed away, but he, he's had a lot to do with my life. I uh, wrote a lot of really great books, and uh, he wrote one of his, his most important books, I think, was called Forgive and Forget. And part of it was he would, we have a discussion about people who have hurt us in one way or another. And when somebody comes and apologizes, what's one of the first things we say? It's okay. It's nothing. And Smeed says, don't ever say that. If somebody hurts you, it's not okay. And you forgive them anyway. If you're forgiven something that doesn't hurt you, it's no big deal. So... So we, we need to be allowed to weep and to feel that rage in order to recognize that God is still calling us to persist in this situation. And then 
to hold on to the vision of hope and transformation. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. That was written to people who were in captivity. Keep this in mind. Keep this in mind. This is the goal for you. Hold that goal high. And then kind of the fourth step, but if I put a fourth step in, it wouldn't be a proper Presbyterian sermon, would it? You can only have three steps. The, the fourth step is really the most important, to recognize that the results of our efforts regularly are small, or as I say, marginal. Not always. Sometimes we can have a, a big influence on folks, but a lot of times the result is pretty small and pretty marginal. And when that happens, we shouldn't mope and moan and groan about that. We should be grateful that we can influence people, even if only in small ways. Because we don't have to do the whole job. We just have to do our part of the job. Sometimes when we think that our little bit is not worth doing, we don't do it, do we? And the point is, yeah, do it anyway. Because you're a part of a process. It's not just you all by yourself. Just like Jeremiah. He was just one of the prophets through the ages. So here's your homework for today. I want you to think, if you're thinking about great and grand schemes for re uh, redeeming the world and, and uh, transforming the church and all that stuff, keep thinking. I don't want you to not think about those. But I imagine that maybe not all of you are. I would like you to think smaller. I would like you to think about your own lives and to pray about opportunities where you can impact people in small ways, marginal ways. Not to change everything, but to change something. Do you know that there are people in your lives who need to hear a word that only you can give them because they will only hear it from you? And I really want you to think about that. Who might those people be? And kind of with the three-by-five card idea that I started last week, be prepared to share your story with those folks. Think about the people and the places and the events that that you can touch, and, and maybe the ones that grieve you. Probably the things that grieve us the most are the places where we need most to be involved in those situations. So if you're grieved by something, let that be a sign. Why is this grieving me? What can I do about it? Because there's something you can do about it. And then imagine. Imagine how you might find a time and a way and a place to influence folks and events and situations uh, with the hope that we have because we're disciples of Jesus. And even though Jeremiah wasn't a disciple of Jesus, he expressed it pretty well, didn't he? For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. A plans for your welfare and not for harm to give you a future with hope. How can we do that? Don't just think about it. Look for an avenue of action, whatever that might be. Minor, small, marginal kind of action. But, but don't just think about it. Think about how you can act as well. And act with courage and commitment and faith. And then let God do the rest. Did my part. Now, God, it's in your ballpark for you to do the rest. 
think about that. And just like three by five card stories, I, uh, those are gonna just keep coming back, so some of you better be writing some. Because <laughs> sooner or later, I'm going to have an opportunity for you to share them. But just like those three by five stories, and, and they can become three by five stories. When we act out in a certain way, and there's a response, you write it down. Not for your credit, but to give glory to God and to build up the church. Let God do the rest. But don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that when we take these little steps in faith, God will put even more trust in us and will give us even bigger opportunities, maybe even to change the world. Thanks be to God for this teaching from his holy word. Amen.